welcome into another edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We finally have some spring training games underway. The free agent signings haven't stopped, and neither has the fantasy baseball covered here at FantasyAlarm.com, whether it's the draft guide, the podcast, regular articles coming out. All of it and more, we have you covered. I'm your host, Colby Conway, at Colby R. Conway on Twitter, and with me as always is Matt Sells, at the Sellsman on Twitter, when he's not doing you know, baseball stuff. It's NASCAR. Then he's got F1 that he decided to add on to it. And I don't know what his next, you know, sport or avenue of content is going to be, but we have him here for the next little bit. So Matt, happy to talk with you. How are things going with you? Things are good. Things are good. We had a a good first weekend in F1. I was very close to uh, having a very good weekend Um, with that. NASCAR was a little bit rougher as it is when you get that style of racing. But uh, it was also a fun baseball weekend. I watched a bunch of spring training games, a whole lot, um, you know, tracking who's playing where, who's hitting where, how are pitchers doing. Um, So, yeah, it was a good, good sports weekend. And then, of course, NCAA tournament was super fun to watch, too. It was fun until a couple teams lost, killed my brackets, the – Kentucky loss was a big one. Obviously, I had them going not terribly far. Uh, the Tennessee loss killed me. I had Tennessee going all the way to the to the big dance, the final dance there at the end. So that one definitely hurt. Hey man, Dicky V. Dicky V. lost his national championship in the uh, first day between Kentucky I, and Iowa. Losing. I am no, I am no stranger to doing that. I remember back when I was in high school. I picked Louisville one year to win it all, and they were the opening game of the tournament and lost. And I, my bracket was literally busted on the first game. So I had about a fun hour and a half of March Madness. So <laughs> as long as I get past that first game, you know, I'm, I'm pretty happy with my brackets. And, you know, we're talking about teams losing there, but fantasy baseball realm with spring training, there's injury news coming out that could maybe be kind of derailing some of your fantasy teams or some just players that you were kind of high on to begin with. Before we get into the bad news, I want to start with some – I kind of consider it to be good news, really, um, with Ronald Acuna. We weren't expecting him until May, but um, Anthopolis, the GM there, basically had told on the Fantasy Alarm Show on SiriusXM, which you should be listening to, that while Acuna is going to open the year on the injured list, he's going to come as the DH near the end of April, hang out there for about a month. So great, let's just get his bat in the lineup and minimize risk of injury before going to the outfield in you know about a month thereafter. So. Thinking about this, I mean, we we were already kind of still pretty bullish on Acuna, knowing that we probably wouldn't get him until May. But it seems like now, even if it's in a limited capacity to start, he's going to DH come the end of April. So say, you know, the what Howard had mentioned was April 21st. If he's only going to miss a week and a half to two weeks of games, that's that's better than I thought what we were getting, especially with him going to the DH. So obviously that'll have some ripple effects with that Atlanta lineup. But those that invested in Acuna early – to me, it's looking like the value is even greater. Yeah, I mean, obviously, that's fantastic news to get him back two weeks sooner than we thought we were going to. Um, now, the one thing we will be cautious on is the steals, right? Mm-hmm. Because he's coming off an ACL. The toughest thing for these guys to do when they come back, and as a guy who's come back from an ACL, clearly I'm not a professional athlete in any means, uh, the trust level on that joint when you come back at first is is the toughest part. So running and then having to stop and slide and whack it against the bag and the ground and whatever, you know, 
We're going to be cautious on that. Clearly, there's the reason why he's DHing first and not playing outfield is they want to give him another month to fully get back on that knee. Um, but, you know, you're drafting him mainly for his power, his average, and then the steals are very nice upside. But you're not necessarily counting on 25 steals from him, right? So the loss of a few steals early in the season probably isn't going to hurt you. Uh, all that badly and it's one of those things like you said when you're coming back from an ACL if you're going in at the end of the first round where we're kind of seeing Acuna fall maybe even to the middle parts taking Acuna there I understand now if you're going to sell me on the fact that he's going to come back and be a 30 stolen base guy for tearing his ACL that's where I think things go awry and like you said we're not expecting that from him even Howard mentioned it in his uh daily roundup that he's putting out over at fantasyalarm.com. He even says, are we looking at 30 steals? Probably not, but 15 to 20 with everything else is completely fine. That's kind of right in that same range that you said. So he is still going to be a valuable fantasy asset. And my thing, like I said, the reason it's a net positive is you were still willing to take him, not necessarily you, the, you know, the metaphorical you, you were still willing to take him the back middle of the back part of the first round, not expecting to have him until end of May. Now you're going to get him in April, even if it's only three times a week, that's still far better than what you're expecting before. So those who haven't drafted yet, what do you think with Ronald Acuna now? We basically see him anywhere in like 15 team leagues, like seven, probably as early as about seven, maybe six in some formats. He's got to creep into the top five now with the expectation of only missing 10 to 12 games. And obviously the Tatis news opens up a spot in the top five as well, too. But I think he's got to go in the top five now. Yeah, I agree. Also, the, you know, yeah, they lost Freddie Freeman, but they still have Matt Olson, who are 1A, 1B, or, you know, 1B, 1C, I guess, if you put Vlad ahead of them um, in the first base discussion. So it's not like that offense really took a hit. Um, so, yeah, I think he's still squarely a top five, easily top ten fantasy asset. Absolutely. So we'll see where he goes. Maybe next, maybe we'll take a look next week at his ADP and just kind of see how it's gone. I mean, obviously it won't be a seismic jump, but it should be at least a little bit of a jump. Nonetheless, we talked about a St. Louis right-hander last week or Thursday, maybe it was And Jack Flaherty is going to be out for a little bit. Now it sounds like the oft injured Alex Reyes is also going to be delayed a little bit. It sounds like he's going to be shut down from throwing for at least a couple of weeks. And they've already come out and said they don't expect to be ready for MLB action until late May, early June. Sounds like a stem cell injection in his shoulder. We've seen it with Reyes on a per inning basis. Excellent. Very, very good. However, when it comes to the per inning argument, there aren't many of those innings to go along with it. And it seems like the Cardinals at best if he didn't get extended to be a starter, he was going to be one of a, a couple save options. So this is a pretty, this is a pretty, I'd say a large blow to Reyes's fantasy value. Again, he's good per inning, but he's oft injured. He's already starting the year banged up. And it's what we talked about with Lance McCullers, a, a guy who's injured coming into this a guy who's off injured, who's already coming into the season injured, isn't exactly a recipe for success. So, Alex Reyes, we haven't really talked about him too much. He wasn't someone I was actively seeking out, but I think at this point he's he's going to drop too far to where I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a chance of getting him. Yeah, I mean, he's clearly going to drop, but the question is, are you is it still worth the squeeze even when he drops? Mm-hmm. Because at this point, um, yeah, they came out and said there's closer by committee, but let's face it, Gallegos is perfectly capable of holding that spot. 
Um, they have a few other interesting arms that they could use back there to be sure. Um, and like you said, per inning, Reyes is very electric, but there's not very many of those innings. I compare him to A.J. Puck at this point, where per inning, A.J. Puck has been pretty good, but there's not a whole lot of those innings um, at this point. So I'm not sure that I'm willing to take Alex Reyes. Um, only getting two-thirds of a season from him and knowing that when he comes back, he's probably going to be in low leverage situations, which doesn't even help you in a hold league, really. Um, I'm not sure he's really worth a roster spot for me, to be honest. And then we, in Baltimore, behind the dish, Adley Rushman's being shut down for two to three weeks with triceps issue. Stinks for fantasy managers, those that were investing in him to be their catcher from the jump. He probably was going to break camp with the team, if I had to guess. So now he'll be a little bit delayed triceps issue they kind of said like a sore right elbow too with the throwing he's obviously fantasy wise offensive you know guy that you really wanted he might fall back a couple of spots knowing that he's missing two to three weeks this unlike some of the other guys we talked about i'm not completely out on him just because of this new shorts a little bit delayed if you're in a two catcher league it's a pretty big blow if he was going to be one of your two that you were relying on but i mean you can always find you know, a backup catcher that plays a little bit. You can even get Rushman's backup if needed just to get you by for a couple of weeks. But looking at it here, Rushman out two to three weeks. What are, what are you thinking with this one? Yeah, I'm not entirely sold that this doesn't change his value at all. I'm not entirely sold that he was going to break camp with the team. Uh, I think they may have pulled a Chris Bryant. To be perfectly honest, now that the Cubs face zero repercussions from doing what they did to Chris Bryant, um, and there's not really any massive anti-tanking, um, you know, rule in the new CBA. There's not really a whole lot of, um, you know, because if he if they say, OK, keep him down for a couple of weeks and he comes up and wins the rookie of the year, they lose the he automatically gets the service time. Right. Counts as a full season. That's in the new CBA. Um, even if he finishes. I don't know, second in the rookie of the year or something, He it counts as a full season. So I'm not sure this particularly changes his value at all. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, he hits left-handed, right? Um, so the change in left field for, um, for him in Baltimore, I don't really think affects it either. Um, so I think he's, I, I think he's perfectly fine. The triceps isn't really a thing that tends to linger very much um and if they're that concerned about it they'll come up and have them dh because let's face it they could use a better dh bat in baltimore anyway so yeah i think his value is about the same and then some other spring training takeaways will move away from injuries because that's always just all doom and gloom we talked about some good things here in pittsburgh you got mitch keller and we had talked about him when we were talking about like guys outside of the top, well, for him, it feels like the top 1700 of guys that could pop a little bit and give you a little bit of fantasy juice this year. Mitch Keller made his first start. And the first thing we wanted to see was the velo. We saw the off season work that he was putting in and the velo was going to be increased. But of course, you know, when you're in a batting cage on a mound with no one around, you can kind of, you know, amp it up a little bit with no repercussions, especially if there's guys in the box. But when you look at Keller back in 2020 and 2021, about 93.9, 93.8 miles per hour on his four-seam fastball. And in his outing against the Detroit Tigers, he threw 13 four-seamers, 12 of which were above 96, and four of them topped 97. 
uh, with two actually getting into the 98 mile per hour range. So at least there, the Vila was good. I told you before the show. And of course, once something good goes for him, something bad to get happens. So he proceeds to get drilled with a line drive and have to leave the game. Sounds precautionary. It's, you can kind of pick and choose what you want to take from spring training performances, but for a guy going this late and knowing the upside and the pedigree that Mitch Keller had, this is at least a positive step in the right direction after a couple rough opening years in the bigs. That's how I look at this. Yeah. I mean, this news is certainly good. I also saw that his spin rates were up. Um, he was a guy that was kind of affected by the lack of sticky stuff that they could use halfway through last year. Um, but I did see that his spin rates on um, all of his pitches were actually up, which is good. Means he's getting uh, more movement uh, from those pitches, which, to be honest, at this point is the most important part, right? Everybody throws 95. Everybody has sliders that are in the upper 80s. Everybody throws changeups that are 10 miles an hour slower than their fastballs. Um, but it's the movement, and when that movement happens, that really elevates your pitches. And um, Keller got better better spin rates on his pitches in that outing. So it is, granted, a very small sample size. It's the first spring training appearance. Maybe he was just amped to be on a baseball field again. Um, but we'll see. Is this a, a case of a post-post-post-hype guy? Um, possibly. But you also have to take it with a grain of salt because, again, he pitches for Pittsburgh. They're not going to win a ton of games. So you're going to need strikeouts from them, and you're going to need better ratios, and that's basically what you're in it for. Um, I, there's no way he wins double-digit games pitching for Pittsburgh this year, um, even if he pitches complete games every time out. So it's nice if he has another good couple of spring training things before you draft, take a shot. He's a flyer of all flyers at this point, though. Yeah, I don't want to be a stickler. I think you missed one post. Um, and you're a post, post, post hype guy. I think you missed oh. one in there. Um, but yeah, you, met, you had a good point. The spin rate of those 12 or 13 fastballs that he threw, 10 of those 13 had a higher spin rate on what he averaged back in 2021. So that is certainly exciting there. Another right-hander that made an appearance that should draw some eyes from a fantasy realm is going to be New York's Luis Severino after missing a little bit of time. He came back and the velo was good for him as well, routinely above 97 even topping over 98 on seven of his fastball so he was one we kind of wanted to see and i believe i saw a report too i'm going to find the exact terminology kind of where you talk about severino here but a very interesting comment was made about him uh, i'm going to look that up here but luis severino velo looked good and that was a big first step here coming back to join a rotation deprived or a talent deprived rotation for the new york yankees yeah, I mean, for a couple of weeks now, we've been talking about it's Garrett Cole and 17 question marks, right? Mm -hmm. uh, well, if they can take one of those question marks away with a healthy Luis Severino, there's no reason to think he can't be the number two starter in that rotation, right? He's clearly better than Jordan Montgomery on a stuff basis. Uh, he's clearly better than any of the other dudes that they'd be putting in there. Nasty Nestor Cortez. Um, you know, Domingo Herman whenever he gets back. Um, so, you know, they need him to be healthy to compete. And Aaron Boone talked up, you know, said, we have the guys here to compete and win now. Um, of course, the manager is going to say that. What's he going to do? Say, no, this team's crap. We can't compete. And why am I even here? Of course not. Um, 
But Luis Severino being healthy is a very big key uh, to the Yankees having any shot in a very loaded AL East, um, aside from Baltimore. (laughs) Absolutely. And the one thing here that's very interesting for me, and I finally found the report that I was trying to uh, basically point to here, quote, for what it's worth, manager Aaron Boone called Severino the team's most ahead pitcher as far as getting ready to go. Well, okay, but he is also coming off injury, so he he had a bunch of extra time to to work, right? So, like, Garrett Cole was still pitching late last year, then took time off and then couldn't report to spring training because there wasn't one. Meanwhile, Severino is out there rehabbing from injury. So that's that's very good. I would like to hope that the health stays, though. That's the only, That's the thing with Severino. So what I heard you eloquently say was that I looked too much into it and that this is almost like this is the written version of like best shape of their life. It's like best word choice of their life. And it's more so playing up Severino and we're just we're ignoring the context. It's like it's like Mike Trout saying he's 100 percent healthy. Well, he hasn't played baseball in 11 months. Right, because he I mean, he was injured in what, May, late May of last year and never came back. And it was just a lingering, it's not like, I don't think he had surgery, it was just a lingering muscle thing. So, you know, it, it's one of those things where, yeah, that's a factual statement, but there's, you know, context to it. Yep. Fair enough. And then in Detroit, we talked about Severino kind of beating Detroit. A couple interesting things here. Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson, are they going to be guys that break camp? That's my first question to you. Yes. Break camp with the team. And then, I don't know if you saw this, but all of my fantasy team sure as hell did. Akil Badu hitting second. Get him in front of those boys. I think we're talking a 2020 season this year. That ADP is going through the roof. So hopefully you got your shares of Badu now. Yeah. So to answer the first question, yes. Uh, certainly for Torkelson. He's certainly breaking camp. They're not going to put 97-year-old Miggy at first base. Um, That's not going to happen. So Torkelson is the future first baseman of the team. Played first base at AAA. He was already the most advanced hitter in the draft class when they took him. No reason to send him back to AAA. That team is the way they spent money this offseason on getting, you know, guys like Javi Baez and a few other dudes, um, Eduardo Rodriguez. They're trying to compete in – what is a pretty wide open AL Central right now? Um, so yes, Torkelson makes it. They may pull that two week crap with Riley Green just to try to extend him because again, there's zero repercussions for doing that at this point um, unless he has such a good season that he gets it back by winning Rookie of the Year. Um, and Akil Badu is the most under the radar 2020 dude, maybe in fantasy right now, like. He could easily be a 2020 guy. He's now got Javi Baez in that lineup. Uh, Heimer Candelario can hit. That guy is, he's got a bat that nobody's talking about. Uh, Spencer Torkelson is very fun to watch, swing a bat. And Riley Green is very talented. So, yeah, that could be a, that could be a sneaky, dangerous Tigers lineup. And with Badu hitting second, I sure hope it is with my ownership levels of him. So each week, 
throughout the week, obviously here, we'll be doing the podcast. Make sure you check out Howard Bender's daily roundups as he's going to break down some interesting things that he's seeing from spring training, any news, notes, anything like that. Make sure you check those out on a daily basis. We did have some free agency signings. Again, I'm updating all of them. All major league contracts go there in the free agent tracker. I believe that is free, if I'm not mistaken. So you can check that out. Just a couple big names that we want to touch on here. Uh, The Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, for a lack of better terms, are saying screw defense. It doesn't matter. We're just going to get every big slugger that we can, and we're going to hope for the best. So they add Nick Castellanos to that outfield. One would think now Schwarber serves as the DH. Castellanos plays one of the outfields. So now, basically, I'm, I'm just a super excited for the time where we get an outfield of Castellanos, Harper, and Schwarber. It might suck defensively, but it's going to be very cool sounding, and they can make cool graphics about how it's like the top performing outfield overall even though Schwarber more profiles of their DH but Castellanos for me was a guy who was going to really need a good park to kind of sustain him a good bit um obviously in Cincinnati he was more than fine but he's a very good hitter and now goes to a very good hitter park in Philly yeah I mean that's the thing here right is that it's clearly offensive guided it's clearly not defense they're thinking if they can score 17 runs a game it doesn't matter how how crappy their defense is um but, yeah, to be honest, it's kind of an interesting – I mean, they do have Odubel Herrera still there to play center, right? So I would, despite all of the baggage he comes with, and he's probably the worst bat in that lineup, which says something. Um, so you'll likely have Bryce in right field. You'll have uh, Castellanos in left, Schwarber, DHing, and balls flying everywhere because Philly is a very fun park to hit in. Um, especially for lefties, which is why Schwarber's really going to like it. Um, so, yeah, the top half of that lineup right now is Schwarber, Castellanos, Bryce Harper, JT Realmuto, Reese Hoskins. That's really, really, really fun to watch. Um, really bad if you're trying to stop baseballs from, from you know, getting booted all over the field, though. Yeah, they'll be defensively challenged. Who cares? It's all about the offense anyway. So yep. I think it's a good spot for Castellanos. Maybe you see a slight bump in his ADP, but at, he should be fine. He's going to be a guy that you're going to want on your fantasy team. Another guy, I think this is the one of the best for fantasy, and it's Trevor Story going to Boston. Yes, leaving Colorado stinks. However, Boston's still pretty good for right-handers, and he sprays the ball all over the field. He's going to be just fine there. And from a fantasy perspective, He's going to gain second base eligibility within the first week or two of the season, depending on what threshold your league uses, whether it's five games, 20 games, whatever. He's going to get second base eligibility. So Trevor Story to Boston joins a very good offense. So that is going to be enticing in and of itself. But that second base eligibility is huge. When you look at some of those players that have second base eligibility, depending on, again, your league settings, Trey Turner, I'm not putting him above him. Then you have like Ozzie Albies, Whit Merrifield, Marcus Semyon. I'm also pretty out on Semyon. So I would actually consider Trevor Story probably as the number three or four second baseman, really. He's going to gain that eligibility. So I'm I'm pretty bullish on this move for the shortstop who's going to be a second baseman now. Yeah, I mean, I, it obviously depends if your league counts Mookie Betts as a second baseman because he did play there a handful of times for the Dodgers. Um, so in like Yahoo leagues, he probably counts as second base, but in everywhere else, I don't think he does. Um, yeah, it's a very interesting move. Um, gives him arguably the best middle infield in baseball with Bogarts and Story. Uh, it also moves Kike out to 
probably center field, I would imagine. Um, and means Verdugo's likely in left, I would assume. And you get a, a platoon of JBJ and Jaron Duran probably in right field. Um, so that'll be a little interesting to see how they do that. And then they have Kike and Christian Arroyo to spell um, Trevor Story on any off days he might need. So that's a pretty potent lineup. They also needed some speed in that lineup, which they obviously got with Story. So, yeah, I mean, as a Yankees fan, it sucks to watch Trevor Story play in Boston. Um, and as a fantasy guy for Duran, it does eat his at-bats. Um, but we'll see how it all shakes out. There's no there's no telling right now. Right now, all Jaron Duran has to do is beat out JBJ offensively. Shouldn't be that hard to do. Should not at all. And I, like I said, that second base eligibility is huge. I don't want to kind of really push everything to that, but that is going to be... Especially since second base is a lot shallower than shortstop. Correct. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. And then you have Atlanta who went out and signed Kenley Jansen, who basically was pretty adamant that, at least from the looks of it, the optics, he wasn't going to sign where he wasn't going to close. He wants the ninth inning. He ain't, he's not going to fart around in other innings. It's, it's the ninth. That's the one that he wants. But I'm going to pose it to you this way. Obviously, he's going to close for Atlanta. That is going to be valuable because they are pretty good at the baseball. And then when you look at it here, I mean, there's a very legitimate case for Atlanta having the best bullpen in baseball. Kenley Jansen, Will Smith. They brought in Colin McHugh, who was absolutely filthy last year. Luke Jackson posted a sub two ERA. Tyler Matzek was under three ERA. I don't know of many other bullpens that are better than Atlanta's. Um, I can't think of any off the top of my head at this point. Um, you know, we'll see how it all shakes out. Maybe the White Sox. Maybe. Um, but that assumes everybody keeps gelling like they did last year. But Atlanta could, I mean, there's a case to be made that they could literally end every game in the fifth inning. Right. Um, and it's it's kind of interesting to see how this is rolling out. Because I was talking with our former colleague, Greg Jewett, this morning about how pitching is so scarce. And if you look at starters in like starting rotations in the major leagues, even the teams we think as World Series contenders like the Dodgers and the Braves and the Red Sox and Toronto, none of them have five good starters in their rotation. They may have two or three. And so these teams have decided it's cheaper and better to focus on bullpens than starting rotations, apparently, at this point, because there is a massive dearth of starting options. Um, I mean, even Atlanta, right? They have a stacked bullpen, but their starting rotation right now is Freed, Morton, Anderson, and then who knows what you get out of Yanoa and Tucker Davidson, right? Meanwhile, they have Tyler Thornburg, A.J. Minter, Luke Jackson, Matzik, McHugh, Smith, Jansen, all in the bullpen. And, and they have, I mean, they have Soroka coming back, but who knows what he comes back as in July, right? And Kirby and same Yates. With, same with Kirby Yates. Who knows? I mean, we, I don't want to say, yep, you know, Atlanta's got the best bullpen. And wait till they get Kirby Yates back. That's a pretty massive 35-year-old question mark. Yeah, I mean, for sure. But he's coming helped. off Tommy John. But, like, um, I would say that the White Sox are the only other ones that are close with Hendricks, Kimbrell, Bummer, uh, Kendall Graveman, Garrett Crochet, and now they have uh, Joe Kelly, too. 
that's a pretty deep pen. For sure. Atlanta's got some of the, I, I guess I'm, I'm pretty biased because when you just look, Kenley Jansen, Will Smith, Colin McHugh, pretty big names from last year. But regardless, one of the top bullpens easily and definitely probably the best in the National League. And one other signing to touch on quick, Jorge Soler goes to Miami. Incredible raw power. Sure, stadium's not great for it, but with a guy with as much raw power as he does, he should be just fine. I mean, the guy hit 48 bombs in Kansas City three years ago. Yep. So I'm not entirely sure that the stadium really matters with Jorge Soler. No, not with his raw power. And if you, it's one of those things too, like, oh yeah, he's going to Miami. He's going to lose two or three home runs. Well, what's 40? What's 40 instead of 43? What's 37 instead of 40? You know what I mean? Like, he's more than fine. He's got enough raw power to overcome it, and hopefully. You know, Miami might kind of mess around with Jazz Chisholm at the top of the lineup, let him hit up there, get some of their better bats out in front of Soler. He's, again, his batting average could be not quite what you want, but you're drafting I mean, he hit 223 last year, right? It's You're drafting for power. That's I mean, he did have a 250 Babbitt, though, so yep. we'll see. But that is lower than – even when he hit 265 the year that he hit 48 homers, his Babbitt was 294. So – there's still a downtick. The strikeout rate was pretty decent last year, though, at 23.6. Walk rate of 11.1. That's pretty nice. Um, and the rest of the NL East is a reasonably fair hitters situation between the Mets, the Nats, the Phillies, and the Braves are all fair hitters parks. So it's not – It's I'm really not concerned about the, the park for him because he's got power to hit it basically anywhere he wants to. And then that's pretty much the last of the, the bigger name for each time. Still waiting on a couple names to see where they land. So we'll definitely have, have we touched on Carlos Correa to the Twins? Uh, not a big name, and he didn't go to New York, so screw him. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, haven't touched. I don't. I think Correa came in after we kind of talked about last week. So yep, Carlos Correa. He's obviously going to Minnesota for a pretty. I believe it was three years for a hundred plus mil. So yeah, he fills a nice void at shortstop and. <laughs> I guess it was a bad little bit for the Yankees in terms of Trevor Story going to um, Boston. And then the trade with New York and Minnesota basically freed up some cap, which was then used to take Correa from the Yankees. So, I mean, the Yankees haters probably love what Minnesota did. Regardless of what the outcome ends up being, they got to love it. See, here's here's the thing. And I was talking uh, amongst John Impemba, James Grande, and Howard Bender with this the other day. Three of us in that conversation are Yankees fans. One of us is a Red Sox fan. Um, I don't mind the Yankees not donating $75 million a year to the Pirates, right? Do I wish they had another starter? Sure. The Luke Voigt trade was nice. Got some farm depth for pitching. That's nice. Justin Lang's 20-year-old pitcher. Um, But their farm system is stacked. The Yankees' farm system is one of the top three in baseball. That's not just me because I'm a Yankees fan. I'm, like, legit saying most places have it as a top-five farm system. They have prospects coming up everywhere between Anthony Volpe, uh, Oswaldo Peraza. They drafted Trey Sweeney. Uh, They signed another international shortstop. They can move everywhere. They have Jason Dominguez coming up. They've got some pitchers coming up that are still really uh, good and impressive. Luis Gill is one of them. Um, They've got catching prospects. They've got so they've got guys coming up everywhere, and they already have a core there. So I'm fine. Let the ALEs blow their their load right now to compete now, 
And then, like, if you look at Toronto, they brought up all their dudes. They don't have the deepest farm system after this. So they have to go now. The Yankees window is opening in a few years. The Twins are going now because their farm system is so-so. Um, it does cause some interesting lineup things with Luis uh, Arias, Jose Miranda, um, Jorge Polanco, guys like that. So it'll be interesting to see how they shake that out. But they might deal one of those guys for a starter like Jose Miranda's or uh, Jose Miranda. I would like I would see them trading uh, maybe with Oakland for Montas or Sean Manea. Yep, I was going to say there's two starters in Oakland that are probably pretty available, whether it be now or closer to. And by the, the way, the Yankees deadline. could go get one of those dudes. And deal, I don't know, some dude out of their top five prospects, give away a good prospect and still not even touch their depth and get a good young starter. So there's options there. Yeah. Well, I guess the Pirates could get it. Oh, never mind. No, they couldn't. They couldn't. Anyone else can but them. But, yeah. So a couple signings there. We'll touch on more as they come along throughout the week. But to go ahead and wrap this episode up, we're going to talk a little bit about a draft strategy discussion. So Matt's basically going to – kind of give you a strategy that he either believes is basically a league winning strategy this year or what you need to do overall. I'll go ahead and give you one as well. We'll kind of talk about it for a little bit and we'll put a bow on this episode. So Matt, what is your I guess, key piece of information or what's your strategy to help those folks win their 2022 fantasy baseball leagues? Yeah. So we talked about how shallow starting pitching is in general across the league. Like this is a real problem in major league baseball. With that being the case, you have to get yourself a top 10 starter. Like, you have to. To lock in innings, to lock in strikeouts, to lock in ratio. You have to build your starting rotation, your pitching rotation, around a top 10 starter. Um, there's bats everywhere, right? We've talked about guys real deep in ADP a bunch on this podcast. And most of them are hitters. What you're not finding is quality starters deep in ADP. So you have to start your, your team with at least your pitching staff with a top 10 starter. Um, I try to do that in my keeper league. Um, it's a lot bigger than most people's. Uh, it, it's ranged in the last seven years. It's ranged between 20 teams and 23 teams. Uh, this year it's a 20 team league. And yeah, I start my team every year with a top nine or 10 starter uh, because it just gives you flexibility and chances later in the draft to go take shots on guys that you couldn't take shots on if you don't get a top 10 starter. So lock in the innings, lock in the ratios, lock in the strikeouts, go get yourself a top 10 starter. You can find bats that produce all the time, whether it be on the waiver wire, whether it be late in drafts, you can find bats pretty easily. Yep. I am. My piece of advice actually is kind of related to yours but slightly different. And mine is that you have to go get one of those top closers. I, you can, if you're someone like me who has marginal luck at best in free agency and on the waiver wire with closers, go ahead and get one of the big ones, what you end up lacking. So if you end up taking maybe a second starter with some health concerns or innings limits or anything like that, a top tier closer can basically help bridge that gap and give you saves when needed. So like for me this year, uh, I'm pretty much targeting Rizal Iglesias everywhere. I expect him to get plenty of saves and strikeouts for a very good Angels team. So I like kind of pairing our concepts here. Go ahead and get one of the top 10 or even better, you know, hopefully, depending where you pick, get one of those top arms there. 
get a hitter, hitter, or maybe you end up going hitter, pitcher, hitter. And then I'd come back with one of those closers. You don't have to be the first to take Josh Hader or the second guy that takes Liam Hendricks. You can wait and kind of see that next tier of guys. For me, it's Rizal Iglesias is right up there. So he's the one that I'm actively looking at. So you don't have to be the first one to take a reliever, but you probably don't want to be the seventh or eighth to take the reliever because that's when you kind of get what I kind of consider the danger zone there. So full transparency, like what I'm looking at this year with the closers is I'm taking Rizal Iglesias. He's going to be my first closer. And then I'm going to wait and I'm going to hammer it near the end. So like one guy I was really big on was Lucas Sims, who I guess is going to be a little delayed to the start of the year. So that one hurts. David Bednar in Pittsburgh. We talked about him. If Pittsburgh is winning, it's not going to be by much. There should be some outings there that he can get some saves. So for me, you want a top tier guy and then you can kind of wait and avoid that middle, you know, closers five to 11 and then come back with like the Gregory Soto, Lucas Sims, David Bednar realm. That's where I fall on closers. Yeah, I have a differing opinion on closers, but again, it's my opinion depends on the league format. If you're in a points league, you can't avoid saves. You need them because they put up more points than starters typically. Um, if you're in a roto league, I think you can take some chances later in drafts and get a handful of saves and be okay. Um, that's typically what I do in my league. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's your choice i'd rather have an elite bat than an elite closer but that's just me um i know i just said bats are everywhere but they do tend to thin it like if i'm between a second baseman and a closer i'm gonna go with an elite second baseman because that's thin right i believe in my ability to find saves in in multiple spots so that's just me though and i'm i'm different than a lot of people in the industry so <laughs> we get differing opinions here. Well, there's plenty of strategies too. In, I mean, you see it in all fantasy sports, you know, fantasy football, you have the zero RB truthers, you have the hero RB folks, you have the only draft RBs and figure it out from there. Fantasy baseball is the same way. And there's so many different positions too in fantasy baseball. You really dissect. Right. Are you, are you pro catcher early? Do you wait for catcher? Are you pro closer early? Do you wait? Do you not draft a closer at all? What are you starting pitching? Do you only take two starters? If you're the back half of the first round and you're at the wheel, do you not touch it otherwise? Right. There are so many strategies and we'll kind of talk about one each week here leading up to the season as we're still drafting. And that's kind of why what I like to do now is just join best ball drafts, whether you do Howard's over on RT sports, whether you jump in with me over at the NFBC and some BB tens, join them in, try different strategies. You can't, you know, I'm, I'm bad at this because I'll, I'll be the type that hasn't tried a type of food and say, I don't like it without trying it. So you can't say a strategy is bad if you haven't tried it. Go ahead and try taking two stars with your first two picks. Right. If you don't like the build, at least you tried it and you know that it, it's not for you. Yeah, so. I mean, that, that you should be able to treat best balls like mock drafts, essentially. But stay in them the whole time. Don't peace out after the first five rounds and be like, oh, I like that. Because you you're not gaining anything from that. Baseball drafts are so much deeper than football drafts. Leaving after the fifth round is like leaving after the first round than a football draft. Um yeah, so, I mean, I'll agree with you that there are plenty of ways to go about um, to go about drafting in, in fantasy baseball, for sure. Uh, we were talking about my Keeper League before we even started recording and how I am different on the prospect side of things than just about everybody else in the industry where they would prefer to have a prospect bat than a prospect arm. 
But if you believe in your ability to scout and and research prospect arms, then like my strategy in my league has been to get starting pitching prospects and keep them and then build my rotation around that. Why? Because it gets me a top 10 starter for almost nothing. Like, for example, I've had Walker Bueller in my league for zero dollars, a dollar and a half and three dollars each of the last three years. He's been a top 10 starter each of those years, right? I get $10 in value out of Walker Bueller this year. What does that mean? I can use that $10 and go get a guy like a Shane Bieber or even stretch it a little bit and go get, like if I spend, let's say, 13 and a half or 14 or 15 bucks on Jacob DeGrom, right? Then I've spent 18 total bucks on Bueller and DeGrom and somebody in my league is going to go get Garrett Cole for $18. That means I have two top 10 starters for the same price that guy just paid for one. That's why in my league, it works better for me to do the prospects for arms because I can always spend money on bats. But if I save money on pitching, I have that money to spend on more elite pitching or elite bats. So you just got to kind of know your league and develop strategies that way. But for mock drafting, best balls are perfect for that. Absolutely. And you can join Best Ball Drafts with Howard Bender at RT Sports. You can always join with me over in some BB10s at NFBC. So if you want in, hit me up on Twitter at Colby R. Conway. If you're in the Discord channel, go ahead and let me know you want in there. We'll get you the link over there. But that's pretty much all that we have for this week. We'll be back next week to talk more news and notes. I'm Unfortunately, I'm sure we'll probably have some injury news to break down. We might even have some trades and free agency signings to talk about. Or perhaps there's other... Uh, takeaways from spring training that we can talk about. Maybe someone else's velo is up. Maybe Akil Badu stays hitting second and we can continue our excitement with him. There's going to be a lot to break down, but we'll be back next week to talk about it. So you can find Matt Sells on Twitter at The Sells Man. I'm on Twitter at Colby R. Conway. And until then, we will see you next week. <laughs>